Good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church, everybody. I'm glad to see you here after Thanksgiving. We got some family members in town, which is a lot of fun. Um, and if you've been coming around Valley Lights, you've, you've seen a variety of people helping us lead worship on Sunday mornings. We're still praying for God to provide a long-term person that would be able to fill that role for us. Today, our <clears throat> Tara introduced herself at the beginning of service, but uh, Tara and Will Browning are friends of ours and have been a big help to us in the, in the church planting uh, journey of starting a new church. And so I really appreciate your help today. I also want to mention that women's Orma exchange that Mitchell just mentioned. You know, as a, as a church, one of the things that we try to do, one of our goals is to keep meeting more people. And so we kind of, we think of way, what are some ways for us to get into the community and build relationships, build friendships. And so we try a variety of different things throughout the year, you know, stuff for the kids, sports camps. We did a, a family sports night a few weeks ago. This event actually is, is sh it appears to be shaping up to be an event that's going to allow us to meet a lot of people because um, there's a good number of you that are already signed up. But we've, we've had, I think, at least a dozen people that saw our, our post on Instagram and Facebook and have signed up and registered already that we don't know. We don't, we've never met them before. Just people from Santa Clarita that want to come to this event. And, so, and then uh, probably another dozen people that you've invited that are not yet connected to our church. And so there's quite a few women already signed up that I'm, I'm actually really excited about the event. I won't be there, <laughs> obviously. My wife will be there and they got a great plan for it, but I'm, I'm actually really excited about it. And so for those of you that are interested in helping us to grow and like you wanna see Valley Lights become successful in the mission that God's given us, this appears to be a, a pretty significant event this year for us reaching out to new people. So I'm really excited about that. You could actually be praying for that this week. You know, it's basically what's going to happen at that event is these women that we don't know yet will come, have a really fun time, maybe build some new friendships, and get, have a, just a meaningful experience focused on the meaning of Christmas, doing a fun activity. So um, I'm excited about that. All right, so you've joined us today, and I'd like to jump in because today is the grand finale of a seven-week series where we've been walking through the Old Testament book, Daniel. And so I'm actually pretty excited about some of the content for today. It's going to be, there's going to be some weird and interesting things that I'll show you and share with you today. Um, this book that we've been walking through for just about two months now, um, this Old Testament book, it's, it really has been helpful because our own society is moving away from God. Our culture is moving away from things of the Bible, biblical morals. There are parts of our society that's even becoming hostile to Christians and Christianity. And we've been reading about Daniel, this guy who <clears throat> lived a life of devotion to God, even though he was captured and he was living in a very secular, godless, violently brutal society. And he's really a model of how do you stand courageously while living in, in a cultural storm? with all of the pressure and the temptation and the intimidation that he faced, how did he live such a long, faithful life of devoted service to God? It's fascinating to see. So Daniel, he's a character, and we've been, we've been reading a lot of stories about his life. He made it all the way into his late 80s. Daniel experienced spikes of intensity and really life-threatening situations. People were trying to kill him. People were trying to kill his friends, and God kept providing for him. And in fact, he got promoted, usually, at the end of the story. Instead of being killed, he would be promoted by God. But in, in between all of those intense moments, 
Daniel probably had many monotonous days of, actually, probably just a lot of regular years of life in captivity. You know, some of those chapters in the early part of Daniel, those big stories, there's decades in between those stories. So we don't know what happened in between, but he probably just put in day after day of hard work, just regular living. (laughs) And whether enduring the really intense days or just having to keep going through the monotonous days, I think Daniel, for him, it probably was a fight to get to the finish. And actually, I think that's probably the case for most of us. Getting through life, at times, it may feel like a fight to the finish. I don't know what's harder. Yeah, maybe, maybe you have an idea. What's, what's more harder and what's more draining in your life? Those really intense, busy times or the long stretches of routine where life is just kind of ho-hum. You know, you just kind of do the same thing. There's some days, you know, with the intensity or the, or the monotony, I, I feel very exhausted. Many times I've battled discouragement and I've thought often, I just, I just need to put one foot in front of the other. I just need to keep going, Lord. Lord, help me keep going. There was a, a pastor from Seabreeze Church who's a, a friend and a mentor of mine. He often reminds me of Romans 15:5. It says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. It, it, this verse helps because it helps me to remember that God gives these gifts, both endurance and encouragement. And usually it's one at a time. You know, sometimes I pray, God, I, I sure would love some encouragement today. <laughs> but if you don't give it, would you give me endurance? At least give me the other thing that I can keep going. So I don't know if you've ever thought, had a moment in your life where you thought, man, it's just a battle just to keep going. If you've ever thought that, it's because it is. <laughs> it is a battle to keep going. Much of life is a battle. And today we're going to look at, part of the reason I'm excited is because today we're going to look at something amazing in the book of Daniel, something that can give you phenomenal encouragement to keep pressing toward God. This book that we've been reading really is a gift to us from God. And the book of Daniel is broken into two very distinct parts. Uh, the first half, so there's 12 chapters. The first six chapters are about Daniel the prophet. There's stories about him and his life and his friends. The, the remaining, the second half, is Daniel's prophecies. These are things that God show, showed him that revealed world history. It's things from the past, the present, and the future. Some really amazing things was revealed to him. So, we already read through the first six chapters together. So, the past six weeks, we've actually read all of the verses up to this point, And it's been really, it's been amazing going through those powerful stories one at a time. But today, we're going to bundle up the last six chapters all into one. <laughs> and um, inst- I'm not going to read it all, unless you got a couple extra hours this morning. Um, we're not going to read it all. I'm going to capture some highlights. And so if you, if you read the second half of Daniel, it, has anybody, by the way, has anybody read the second half of Daniel? You know what's in there? There's some interesting things. There's some really strange prophecies and weird visions and stuff. If you, if you read that, you, you can kind of get lost and like, what in the world am I reading? Well, here, here's what it's like. Dan, being, reading Daniel is like when you go to a parade, say you arrive late to a parade, all you can see are the floats that are going by in front of you right now. If you're like, oh, I don't know what I missed, 
Well, if you want to see what you missed, then you can just run up to the front of the parade, the things that already went by, and you can see all those things. Well, if you're thinking like, I'm kind of curious what's going to come next. I don't really know. Well, you could figure that out. That You could just go to the, the front where the parade starts, and you could see all those floats. Daniel is like that, where um, it's, like, it's, it's actually like getting in a helicopter, and then you can see the entire parade in one shot. You can see the things that have happened, that are happening, that are going to happen all at once when you read this book. And so it's pretty amazing. We get, we get to read significant world events that are very well historically documented and predictions about things that have yet to happen on this planet. One of the prophecies in Daniel is the prediction of Jesus' death. Exactly to the date. It's actually kind of crazy. So the, Daniel saw and predicted through God telling him when Jesus would die. This was a half a century before it occurred. Actually, 483 years from the date set in the Old Testament. In chapter 11 alone, just one chapter, there, there's many more prophecies about world events that have happened. There's an astonishing number of fulfilled prophecies. In that chapter, there's 135 events that have already happened on the planet. And those were all things that Daniel wrote about ahead of time. And then the, the last 10 verses of chapter 11, there's prophecies that have not yet happened, but will. So you could, we could deep dive into all the detail about his visions and the numbers and the dates and all the prophecies. It's not our goal today to meticulously work through that kind of detail. But if you are interested in learning more about that, I did at least want to give you a resource. I would recommend really excellent video commentary on Daniel. Let's see if we got it right here. Yeah, so you can write this down or take a photo of it on the screen there. But this is a really incredible, deeper look at Daniel and some of the prophecies, especially that second one, Daniel 9 through 12. If you're driving and you just want to hear some, actually, it'll really encourage you to see how prophecies have been fulfilled. Um, so that, that's for you to look at if you'd like to. But our main purpose for today is to answer why did God give us the book of Daniel? Why, why should we even read it? Why, why is such an old and sort of strange book worth our time and attention? Actually, why, maybe, maybe the first half is cool because there's all those stories of faith and him, you know, God providing for him. But the, the, the weirdness of the second half, why should we even read that? Well, Daniel's life, it seems like it was a fight to the finish. And amazingly, he was faithful to the end. For us, it might also be a fight to the finish. Maybe you've walked through some battles and maybe there's some battles yet for you to fight. When we read this book, it helps us to see some of the conflict that we experience in life can be grouped into three categories. There's, in a way, three big battlefronts that we face. The biggest overarching battlefront is the spiritual conflict. Those of us who follow Jesus experience spiritual opposition. There is an enormous unseen cosmic battle going on all around us. You don't see it. Sometimes you can't even feel it. Maybe you feel effects of it. But at one point, this is fascinating, at one point Daniel was earnestly praying to God, petitioning God, hoping for a response. In, in a vision, an angelic figure comes and speaks to him. So this is, I'm going to read a part of Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. So, and, the, and the angel, this, it comes to him in this vision, and they say, it says, Don't be afraid, Daniel. He said to me, For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before your God, 
your prayers were heard. Meaning the day you started praying, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to help you understand what will happen to your people in the last days, for the vision refers to those. So with these verses, we get this really interesting peek into the unseen spiritual realm. Daniel was praying, and a messenger was sent from God to give him a response. It might have been Gabriel, who in the Bible is like a messenger angel. He refers to Michael, who is a warrior angel. But this messenger was delayed because of a conflict with the prince of Persia for 21 days which was probably a very powerful demonic being. So that suddenly opens up the possibility that God may intend to answer your prayers, but the response might be delayed for some unseen spiritual reason. I mean, you think that God would just give a direct line to Daniel. I mean, this guy was so faithful. But some things were happening that were unseen. So how about you? What, what, if, what if you don't get your answer to your prayer on the first day you pray it? <laughs> Should you just, ah, forget it. What if it takes days or weeks or years for God to answer your prayer? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it at least be a comfort to know that the answer might already be on the way? When we cry out to God during times of deep trouble or when we're, our prayers don't seem to penetrate the skies, or when it seems like God is withholding from us, or when evil people seem to be prevailing, we, we, we can't give up on praying and trusting God in those times. We have to cling to the truth that God is faithful. There must have been a pretty powerful spiritual being at work in this story. If an evil spirit over the region of Persia could cause such a delay to one of God's mighty angels, this is actually, this, these were powerful angels, by the way, that are being talked about here. And if, if these demonic forces could delay God's messengers, Man, that's, that's really interesting. What is going on that we can't see? It kind of makes you wonder, how much strength does the prince of Los Angeles have? <laughs> or the evil prince of California? Or Santa Clarita, for that matter? There's, there's spiritual things happening that we can't see. There really is a cosmic battle happening on Earth. And there are forces that are working very hard to influence not just cities, but entire kingdoms with the goal of shaping history ultimately to oppose the works of God. So we read about this in another vision from the book of Revelation. In, in Revelation 12, 17, it says, So the dragon, who is a reference to, this is a, uh, a, a, a reference to Satan. The dragon was furious with the woman, which is a reference to the church. Satan is furious with the church. And he went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. So this comforting verse means that if you are a follower of Jesus, Satan has declared war on you. Yikes. You know, the more we keep God's commands, the more that we hold firm to the testimony, the angrier he gets. Do you ever feel like it's a fight to keep the faith? It's because it is. It is a fight. The spiritual battle is always in the backdrop. There's much more in that verse. I'm, I'm going to actually move to the next battlefront that we see. This is a, a, a layer that's a little bit easier for us to see, and it's global conflict. 
In our lifetime, we will see nations at war with other nations. And you can also look at history and see the constant rise and fall of many kingdoms. Daniel had a vision of this taking place uh, between, between various nations in chapter 7. And uh, he was sort of at the front end of this vision. But let me read this part to you. This is from chapter 7. It says, In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was laying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Um, Daniel said, In my vision at night, I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. We've got, a, we've got an image of, these, of somebody's idea of what this could have looked like. So four big beasts. All right, so the first one was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its ring, wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. So the lion actually represents uh, Babylon. And we actually read about the fall of Babylon, how its wings essentially were ripped off. And Daniel lived through that experience as well. And there's references there, I believe, to Nebuchadnezzar. And so this one he was familiar with. Then it says, suddenly another beast appeared and a, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. This represents the kingdoms of the Medes and Persians. This, by the way, the interpretation of this is later in the chapter, so I'm not making this up, but um, you can read more. I'll just, I'm kind of giving you a condensed version. Um, this was the Medes and Persians. It was, uh, th those groups, were, they were a coalition, but one was slightly stronger than the other, which is why the bear was raised on one side. They defeated Babylon and took control. They gorged themselves on the flesh of, of humans by doing that. Then after this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads and it was given dominion. So the next world power that came, this is all, by the way, this is all historically documented as well, was Greece. This was led by Alexander the Great. He defeated everyone else that came before him. A leopard is not as strong as a bear or a lion, but it is much faster. And this is really interesting because the speed at which Alexander defeated the known world was astonishing. Like if you read the historical accounts, it's just, he just wiped, he just like tore across that region. And he was still very young when he finished and he was whining and moping that there were no more kingdoms to conquer. <laughs> and then um, he actually died an early death in his bed. He got sick and at his death, he gave control of this vast empire to his four generals which is why there's four heads on the leopard now. And in the next chapter, Daniel receives a different but similar dream, and Greece and Alexander is portrayed as a goat in the next vision, chapter 8. And it's, it's described as a goat that moved so fast, its feet didn't even touch the ground. It was like turbo goat. <laughs> and um, nowadays, goat, you know what goat means nowadays? The greatest of all time. And... This is, I don't know if there's any like similarity to this, but it's just fascinating to me that Alexander is known as one of the greatest military commanders of all time. Isn't it interesting that he's portrayed as a goat also? It's really interesting. Then verse 7, here we go. After this, while I was watching in the night vision, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled with its feet whatever was left. 
It was different from all the beasts before it, and it had ten horns. Um, does anyone know what this one is? This is Rome. This is what came next in history. And Rome, it really was in a class of its own. It was really dreadful and terrifying what happened. And I'm going to show you a video. I'm hoping you can see it. But before you play, um, you're going to see a map and then dots appear on the screen where battles, all the battles in history have occurred. And it's, a, it's kind of a fast time lapse. And in the corner, you see a tally mark where which kingdoms won. And when you, you'll, you'll notice where... Um, Babylon, you know, the first one, tops out at eight battles, one, modest eight. Persia, 18. And, and then there's Macedon, which is Greece. Um, they get around 50, so that was led by Alexander. But Rome keeps climbing well beyond that. So this is just a visual illustration. Check this out. The most reliable source of information, <laughs> Wikipedia. It's at least a starting point. Okay, you can see the tally marks there. China's there. Two battles won. You can see the dots where they appear. Um, after a few minutes, the dots disappear. They just phase out. So Egypt's up there. Egypt was a very strong world power at the beginning. This is actually since the beginning of recorded history. You see Sparta at the bottom there. Oh, okay, so Rome starts on the scene there. You can see Assyria, China. Oh, China's still climbing. So there's Babylon's got eight, but now Babylon's dropping down because they got eliminated. Persia is at the top for a little time. Athens, Sparta. The numbers are climbing. And you can see by the, the time lapse here, this is by uh, date, by year. Macedon, there's... there's uh, that's rep that represents Greece, all the battles happening there. So Rome's starting to catch up now. Rome takes over, and the number of battles that they won starts climbing and doesn't stop climbing, which every battle represents enormous bloodshed. In fact, later in this video, World War I and World War II are just a dot, a single dot on the screen. So we don't actually know how brutal and violent these were. Look at, look at the number. Still climbing. Rome's just spreading throughout the empire. Some of these other nations have, have capped out. And actually, we're, we're actually past the time of Christ now, too. So we're in the, two, this is 200 AD. They're still in control. They've been in control for a very long time. Dominating the landscape. I think it tops out somewhere, somewhere in the 250s. They just keep, they just keep defeating everybody. All right, so that's fascinating, right? Now, I cut the video short. It actually goes to today, so you can check that out on YouTube. It's called Video Time Lapse of Every Battle in History. So Rome had the most victories in battle from 213 BC all the way to 1702 AD. That's 2,000 years of being on top. The amount of destruction and bloodshed is too much to count, just the way that they, what, and what they did to people. If you read some of the historical accounts of their brutality, it makes your stomach turn. Rome truly devoured, <clears throat> crushed, and trampled, as it says in this vision. 
And the vision of that beast really must have given Daniel a sense of the bloodshed because he writes, he says, As for me, Daniel, my thoughts terrified me greatly and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. He wrote later about another vision that he lay in his bed sick for days because of the distress of these visions that he was receiving. But now, Rome is gone. Isn't that fascinating? Rome is gone. There's so many nations that have come and gone. And I want to show you another video. I actually like this video even more. So this is a very fast time lapse of every kingdom in history of the world. And it helps us grasp the idea of nations rising and falling. So check this out. So here we go. Egypt was, you saw it for a second. Egypt was very, at the very beginning. And we're, you know, at 2000 BC. So it's kind of, it's kind of clippy here. So you can see different nations, the Hittite Empire, the Assyrian Empire. So basically every time, sorry it's flashing so much, but every time you see a nation appear and then disappear, that represents the rise and a fall of a nation. So how many have happened so far, by the way? <laughs> so we actually, oh, we already passed Daniel's time. He was around 500 BC. So that's Macedonian Empire, Seleucid Empire, things happening in China. Things get really out of control here in the Asia area. You'll see in a second. Oh, there's Roman Empire beginning to spread all of the defeat that they had there. Look, it's still popping up. People, nations popping up and disappearing, popping up and disappearing so faster than you can even count. You can't even read them all. Byzantine Empire, a lot developing in India and China. You see a little, an old version of France coming, spreading into Norway, spreading into Africa. All right, we're about, oh, we're, we've actually, oh, I missed it. We missed the time of Christ. Okay, so we already passed. We're into AD now. We're about a thousand, thousand AD, Mongol Empire really takes over. That's a fascinating history. I can give you a resource to that one too, by the way. Um, still, all right, so spreading across the planet. Oh, come on, keep going. No! Weak or no signal. It was, this, the rise and fall of technology was the last one. So. Maybe we'll see if we can... Um, oh, yes! All right, last few seconds. All right, 19, 1900s. Here we go. Soviet Union, China, United States, Canada, Brazil. 2000 slows down right here. You can see. So take it all in, all those nations. Okay, so, whew, 2,000. No, no, like 6,000 years of history there. Um, man, that's a lot. So I, I just wanted you to grasp slightly the rise and fall of innumerable nations that have happened. And the overwhelming sense is every nation rises and falls. Every single one. None of them, none of them that started are still here. There's traces and there's you know, aspects of lineage and humanity and artifacts, but there is no nation that's still in control that was in control. Isn't it amazing how special we feel on our little piece of the timeline? <laughs> you just think, wow, we're like, we're such a big deal. And you're like, oh, I'm not that big of a deal. We're going to be wiped out at some point. Oh my goodness. Oh. But we do. So here, here's the thing though. We have an incredible hope awaiting us. Listen to what is coming at the end of history. So if we were to stretch that timeline into the future, this is what Daniel shows us. In, in chapter 244, it says, 
in the days of those kings at the end, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And this kingdom will not be left to another people. Meaning all these other nations were like taken by others. But that's not going to happen to God's kingdom. It will crush all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it itself will endure forever. Over and over in the book of Daniel, you'll read this idea that God's kingdom will never be destroyed. And I was thinking, like, why, why, does, why does God make such a big deal about that statement, about things, you know, it, he will endure forever is kind of the positive sense. It will never be destroyed is like the negative sense. Why does he repeat that? It's because history shows us that every single kingdom eventually gets destroyed. No country, no nation, no kingdom will make it to the very end, except one. God's kingdom will be the one that finally crushes and overthrows all the others, and it will last forever. So all of those kingdoms that you saw in that video are like chess pieces that God himself is moving around, totally in line with his plans. That means history is actually his story. History? His, his story? <laughs> his, you can just spell it that way. History is his story. It's his he owns it. He owns the timeline in every nation. We can trust that God is sovereignly moving all of the pieces of history in the direction of his desired plan. His plans will never be thwarted. We will never need to fear what is going to happen to us in the very end. Every kingdom that you saw in the video also had a leader. Every kingdom's got a leader, right? There's good ones and bad ones and more effective ones. Do you know who picks out every leader of every nation? Daniel 4.17 says, The Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants. <laughs> and he sets the lowliest of people over them. That means God has picked out every single leader from Egypt all the way through now to our country and all the countries on the planet right now. That's a lot of people. I don't really know how many nations that, that counts up to be. Thousands and thousands. You think he get, ever got tired of that job? Like, leader, okay, dead. Leader, dead. Leader, dead. Okay, like, man, dude, that's, a, that's a big job. Just keep picking out leaders that just, the kingdoms get pushed over. I think one of the big reasons that God gave us the book of Daniel is to understand this. In chapter 7, 27, it says, The kingdom, the dominion, and greatness of the kingdom under all of heaven will be given to the people, the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all its rulers will serve and obey him. So we who serve and obey God will be, giving, will be given ruling rights. We will not be peons in his kingdom. We will have very high status. Though we don't deserve it, God will give us very great privilege and authority in his kingdom. But we've got to obey him. We must trust God and keep the faith until the end. And there's a lot working against you to give up the faith or to skirt the corners or to disobey. So that's, those are two battlefronts. You've got the big spiritual cosmic battlefront. You've got this global battlefront. And then we've got an inner conflict. This is the battlefront you're probably most familiar with. We battle with sin and fleshly desires. Our hearts tug at us often pulling us away from God. This is what happened to the nation of Israel. That's what, so we have this book about Daniel. They were in captivity. They lost the inner battle, which is why they were in captivity to begin with. 
So Daniel addresses this inner conflict. And when you read through this book, when you get to chapter 9, which I'm going to read a few verses from chapter 9, it's kind of like you're driving on the road and you come around a bend and then you suddenly see this huge, majestic mountain that's just breathtaking. It's just so beautiful. <clears throat> it's just towering above the landscape. And all of the chaos of world history going on, and you get to chapter 9, Daniel writes this beautiful personal prayer to God. And I'm going to read part of it right now. Let me read from, starting in verse 4. I think these, I think these are on the screen. Yeah, you can, you can just read or listen. Here's what he says. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Oh, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings. Let me skip down to verse 9. He says, Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Jump down to verse 18. He says, this is, this is his, his request of God. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bears your name. Jerusalem was in desolation. It was totally destroyed. He says, For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. In all of the battlefronts of life, whether it's spiritual or global or inner, this area of our personal walk with God is where the fighting rages most intensely. It's also where we can make the most progress in life. This, this is our realm of stewardship. The Israelites were in a very rough situation, being in captivity and having all these battles raging around them. They got themselves into a mess. Daniel demonstrates tremendous humility with this, verse, with this chapter because he, he actually did walk faithfully with God. He was righteous, but he was also concerned about the larger group. And we can learn from this because the first step in making progress in the fight is confession. So much of this, this prayer is just confession and just throwing himself at the mercy of God. Confession means admitting my sin and repenting. Repenting means I, I need to actually turn away from my sin. Turn away from what I'm doing that's displeasing to God. Many of my personal times in prayer with the Lord are, they involve me getting convicted of my sin. Many times I, I, I just spend a lot of time in my Christian walk just getting back on track. And I'd encourage you to make a decision to go to God in prayer this week like Daniel did, maybe jot down on your paper a time or a place where you can go and pray like Daniel prayed, or maybe you can read chapter 9 yourself and ask God to show you any area of your life where there's unrepentant sin. Or if he's already shown you some things and you're resisting that, go take care of that, get that cleaned up. And if you have never made a firm decision to follow Jesus Christ, to make him your Lord, that would be a very important first step. There's something very different from being sort of Christianish in 
Santa Clarita and kind of going to church sometimes and actually being a follower of Jesus. There's some very important distinctions between those. And so if you'd like to talk about that, we can, we can talk more about how you can become a citizen of the celestial kingdom that will never be destroyed. I, for one, would like to be in that kingdom <laughs> and not the ones that are getting destroyed. I kind of want to wrap up some of these ideas about the battlefront by showing a clip from The Lord of the Rings. It just only seems fitting. <laughs> so The Lord of the Rings is a great illustration of these various battlefronts in my mind. And maybe this is a stretch, but we're just going to go with it. So you've got, you've got so the spiritual conflict, you know, that big cosmic battle. In this movie, you've got those black riders, you know, hovering and just causing despair. And of course, the, the evil Lord Sauron, who can kind of controls and manipulate things from a distance. You've got the kingdom, like the global conflict, where there's the good armies and the bad armies, you know, the orcs, and, and they're fighting against, and you, there's these actual battles taking place for the kingdoms. And then you've got that inner conflict, where Frodo is carrying a burden on his chest, very close to his heart, that it was threatening to overcome him the whole time. Every step of his journey was a fight. There's a lot of fighting happening, but he had his own personal fight. And when you watch the movie, you try to think, like, what's, what is the most deadly and threatening battlefront of all of those? It's really hard to say. It looks pretty hopeless everywhere you tr turn in the movie or in the book, if you're a book reader. So I'm going to show you a clip. This is the epic moment where, so major spoiler alert. If you didn't watch this movie yet, you're way too late. So <laughs> yes, this, this is the end. That's fair, right? Thank you. Okay, so epic ending. Um, Frodo, oh no, this is where, so Frodo does finally deliver the Ring of Power to Mount Doom and it gets destroyed. And so check this out.
pretty powerful there. I actually really love, I think probably my favorite part of that is, <clears throat> is when Gandalf just looks with tears in his eyes. The thing that he had been fighting so long for finally happened. The darkness finally fell and was completely, totally destroyed and overthrown. We have something very similar to look forward to. Um, I, would, I would really encourage you to get on the right side of the, bat, you know, the kingdom, like join God's kingdom, the one that will ultimately be uh, successful. But Frodo and all of the faithful warriors, they fought, they fought to the very end. And oftentimes, I think the thing that Tolkien did really well is he really made things seem so hopeless, well, except for just like a little tiny spark of hope. And that's most of the book hangs on that tension. And there are times in life when it feels like there's so much despair and hopelessness. And like, is, is God in control? Is God going to take care of me? How can I keep moving? How can I put one foot in front of the other? In this movie, when the tower finally fell, the kingdom of light began. And we, the thing that we have looked forward to is far more epic we have a God that's far more powerful than any cinematic presentation could convey. And his kingdom is far more brilliant and desirable than our imaginations could possibly conceive in film. It's very, very good to be in the kingdom of God. I want to end with just a few next steps you might think about practically. How, do you, how would you even work this into your life? One idea I have for you is <clears throat> I'll decide to play my role in his story in history. Play my role in history, which means I can be faithful and honor God where he's put me right now with the people I'm in, the city I'm in, the, the places, the place I live, the people I'm connected to. There's actually a verse you might memorize, Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 16, 5 through 6. It says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. When it talks about the boundary lines, that means all the things about our life, like the boundary of my house or the boundary of where I live or how my kids grow, like all of the things that are kind of the way my life is, God has determined that. And this psalmist just declares, I will, I will declare it's been pleasant where God has picked for me, even if it doesn't look or feel that way. Another next step you might take is to commit to building into God's kingdom, not my own. There really is a temptation to build the best life possible for me and my family. You know the phrase, a man's home is his castle? Have you heard that? that? What that means is, my home is my kingdom. So we've talked a lot about kingdoms today. Well, sometimes like, oh, my kingdom is my family, it's me and mine. And yes, we should give attention to our homes and families. But that can have a selfish flavor to it, where we just focus on what's good for us. And the more important thing to recognize, besides my home being my kingdom, is that the treasured bride of Christ is the church. We can make a sacrificial investment of our time and our money into the church. This right here, the church, this is our main access point to God's kingdom right now. God's kingdom hasn't fully come and destroyed all the bad things yet, but here's, here's where we experience his kingdom is the church. So, how, how could you make a deeper investment in his church? And then third, another next step you might take is to choose courage and faith through the ups and downs of history. Praise God for the hope of an eternal kingdom 
we can have an attitude of peace and acceptance of what's going on in the world. Like, I can accept it because this is God's plan. He's setting leaders. Not an attitude of anger and indignation and despair when the world seems like it's running wild, because it really is. The book of Daniel ends with a verse. There's a glorious being speaking to Daniel in a vision, and it ends this way. The being tells him, but as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest, and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for giving us a peek into history and a peek into the future and for being so trustworthy. We declare our faith in you and say that you are in control and you're working out good for us and more significantly for your own purposes in your kingdom. Help us to do these things of choosing faith and courage to align ourselves with you and be obedient to you in confession and humility like Daniel was. Would you help us to grow and help more people transfer into the kingdom of light and escape the kingdom of darkness? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.